My name is Tony Myers. I am located in Oberlin, Ohio, and I am the interim director of the Oberlin College Multicultural Resource Center, assistant dean of students and first year class dean. This is the episode about identity, and specifically about the many different identities that we wear across our lifetimes. I originally asked Tony to be part of this series because I thought there might be an interesting story in that Tony was the first person in the Myers family to go to college. There is no mention of that at all in this podcast. Instead, let's start with a description of what it was like to move every two years for the first 20 years of life. Moving across the country every other year since I was two years old has definitely impacted who I am and how I see myself. Tony is about to tell the story of a psychological theory close to my heart. It was first published in 1986, and it's called The Theory of Possible Selves, or if that lingo doesn't do it for you. Sort of like Walt Whitman's statement, I contain multitudes. And indeed, Tony does, like all of us. I remember when I was a kid, a little kid, and we at school wrote a description of someone that we admired and explained why. I wrote about the school administrator, and I said that I liked the way that she used her many identities to make the world a better place. My teacher didn't get it. In fact, she laughed. She laughed at me, saying that multiple identities was an indication of a psychological problem. That is one definition. But it's also a reflection of how we aren't necessarily the same person at any one time. For example. My identities personally sit at a number of intersections. I identify as black, genderqueer, femme. Each of these a podcast episode in themselves. Instead, though, today on The Resilient, we will find out how our multitudes can lead to greater personal strength and how our friends and networks, whether real or imagined, are essential to do so. This is The Resilient from flowerapp.com. I've not always identified as an extrovert, but I've always had to be an extrovert in order to survive wherever it was I was uh, moving to because, you know, being the new kid every year, I had to make a decision about what it meant to be me in the space that I was in. I always had an opportunity to reinvent myself. Tony's approach to the challenge of constant re-identification goes something like this. What new thing about me will I learn when I make this move? That's always the question that I ask myself before every transition. How will I develop into the person I want to become from making this decision? And then when I can talk myself through that question and answer, okay, what are the things that I won't like? What are the things that I will like? And how will I grow from the experience in totality? Then I can get to a point where I'm like, okay, well, suck it up. And shit might suck for a little bit, but you're going to be okay at the end of it, because you're going to be a more fuller version of yourself at the end of it. And this is the kind of thing that Hazel Marcus and Paula Nurius talk about in their theory. In fact, Tony's remarkable for intellectualizing this pretty challenging personal experience, though Tony only managed to get there after eight moves. Prior to that, it was just 
a survival question. I think that was the an opportunity where I had to sit down and say, in order to, to be the adult that I want to be, this is what I need to do. And what that became was an ongoing reconfiguration of Tony's self. In D.C., I was into spoken word and poetry. That was my thing. Or in Portland, government was my thing. So I was participating on the school board and running, you know, student government at my high school. And in L.A., just surviving was my thing. So I was just really trying to be very much about academics, and I was really into science. And so I would stay at home and do experiments, scientific experiments, and participate in science fairs. So a different part of who I was came out in all of these spaces, but they were all the same me. Possible Selves says that we put on and take off aspects, identities, all the time. And we keep what fits and discard what doesn't. It is, at its heart, a social psychological theory, which means we need to be around other people to gauge whether or not we want to incorporate the spoken word, the science experiments, the politics into our ongoing sense of self. Because we are public, ourselves operate in a social world, and whether we want to believe it or not, we naturally ebb and flow according to social pressures. It happens all the time, but we haven't necessarily been super reflective about it. For Tony, it was for survival. For many of the rest of us, it's a subconscious process. Well, until recently, that is. When I started high school in D.C., that was the same year that Facebook launched. That was like the key for me to realize that no matter where I moved in the world or how often I moved, that I would always have this opportunity to be connected to people. The internet is a remarkable place for possible selves. We can do things there under cover that might not work in our physical surroundings because we can find a group of people anywhere who will allow us the freedom to be who we want to be at that particular moment. And they'll give us feedback on that me in real time from anywhere in the world. Invaluable to a perpetual new kid on the block Tony Myers. Interesting way, it's actually challenged me to think about how I use the word friend and and how I define vulnerability as 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 a part of that. Any change in our actual selves is mediated by the imagined response to our possible selves. And that means that we become vulnerable to social exclusion or to shame and all the other nasty consequences that we try to avoid to maintain our self-esteem. But it is necessary, not just to progress who we are in the direction of who we want to be, but also to establish those connections in the first place. I really get to test the waters in terms of thinking about my community as a space for me to be fully vulnerable about what it is that I'm going through, who I am becoming, who I was before. And Tony can only see this transformation in remarkable relief through the selves that have been in the permanent world of Facebook. I've changed a lot politically. I've noticed a physical change in who I am, which is a really funny way of looking back at things. I've noticed how I communicate with people is different. So here's the thing I still fight against in public conversations about the Internet. How can a virtual space be significant enough to a person to have the gravity to influence who someone becomes? For Tony, it is. Because that's all 
there is. The connections that we have, the things that we have in common, the things we don't have in common, who they are as people is so genuinely fascinating and so valuable to me in terms of what I'd learned from them and from being around them and from growing with them is so much stronger than the distance that separates us that it allows for those connections to be authentic, to be real. And this can only happen for Tony through a virtual connection space. But that absolutely demands vulnerability to make those connections feel significant enough to be part of the greater identity. The ability to be vulnerable with people that I'm trusting with my story on Facebook has allowed me, I think, to build and to gain strength from being able to just share my story and feeling good that someone else could receive it. And also being able to share my story and know that someone else can respond to it. When I choose to share with others what it is that I've gone through, I learn so much about what other people are capable of surviving as well. So it's a mutual growth this vulnerability and this resilience. We're exchanging stories, we're exchanging experiences, and I'm growing from learning what other people have made it through. My vulnerability online lends itself to my resilience. To have that kind of deep conversation around whatever it is that I'm sharing and being vulnerable and open about helps me, I think, to feel like, okay, I have to work through the shame and the guilt of going through what it is that I'm going through, but knowing that I have a community to be vulnerable with helps me to be strong through that process. But what happens when something very physical takes you offline? How does Tony lean on her networks for support? I got a phone call from the hospital alerting me that my mother had had two strokes and was in serious condition and that I needed to return right away. And I'm in the middle of Pensacola, Florida, and I'm freaking the hell out. And at the same, very same time, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who lived one block away from my mother, was admitted into the ICU for collapsed lung and had to undergo a tracheotomy. And so both my mother and my grandmother were hospitalized. My 16-year-old brother had nowhere to go and no one to take care of him. I really had no idea how I was going to make it. It is at this point that Tony used a nascent superpower, those two years in many different points of the U.S., plus the ongoing connections that were maintained on social media. And so this is where, you know, picking up the phone was really, really helpful. And the people who supported me during that time, you know, my friends came through for me in ways that I think allowed me to literally care for myself. They're like, hey, you might forget to shower today. Let me make you some really nice smelling soap so you want to shower. I'm like, yeah, that helps. You know, hey, you might forget to eat today. Let me make you this, you know, basket of food so that you can not have to worry about what it means to even cook for yourself. But the food is already ready. In physical space, one kind of support. There are some days that I just couldn't even get out of bed. That I was so stressed out when I was back on campus, waiting until I would, you know, get on the plane and go back to Portland. And, you know, there were moments where folks would bring things to me, like physically sit in my room and just say, I'm just going to be here for you to cry and hold my hand. And I have enough space for that. And you don't have to talk. You don't have to vent. You don't have to describe anything you're going through. I'm just going to be here. Those kinds of actions helped me get through one of the hardest times in my life. From far away, another. And then my, you know, Buddhist study group would chat with me over the phone since I 
didn't have one locally. And that really helped too, just knowing that people were thinking of me and were really willing to put their lives on pause in whatever way to accommodate. But such a vulnerability is not a possible self that sits very well in most people's self-esteem. And I, of course, at times felt like guilt and shame and felt like, oh, I'm never going to be able to pay you back. But at that moment, those folks were reassuring and saying, you know, you don't have to feel like our friendship is transactional. We're doing this because we care about you. And we want to make sure that you are whole. That helped me get through a lot. And yet now that self has been incorporated into Tony of multitudes. At the end of the day, I became a really, really strong person in myself, but it required so many people to pour in so much love. And they did that. They showed up. Feeling strongly grounded in who I am and feeling strongly grounded in the people I love and the people around me, making them my home base instead of attaching myself to a geographic home base, I think is a part of my definition of resilience. Resilience becomes externalized. It becomes something that you can find in others when you don't necessarily feel like you have it on your own. It's something that you can, you lean on your community to help you build within yourself. You lean on your community to be a, to hold up a mirror to yourself. When you know that there are other people who truly believe that who you are is a miracle, is divine, when you are around people like that, maybe not physically, but when you surround yourself with folks who can do that for you, that I think it becomes a lot easier, I think. This is The Resilient. It was produced by me, Alex Kratoski. The theme music is by Robin Harper, and it is brought to you by flowerapp.com. Because life happens.